fish. I live with a fish lover. He has been a fish lover since uh, before school. He has fish t-shirts, he draws fish pictures in elementary, he made fish monster stories. And you know, we just thought that would be one of those passing things of childhood, but he still loves fish. And we have, in his bedroom now, he has five aquariums. And um, he likes PetSmart as much as his girlfriend. So he's uh, taught me a lot about fish and breeding fish and beta fish and oxalotl fish. And like, you know, I go to these fish shops and he starts talking in a different language. And, you know, Peyton is, his password is fish boy something, something, something. It's always fish boy, you know. And... Uh, he loves fish. Well, his older two brothers kind of took up most of the oxygen in the home, if you know our older two sons, but now they're overseas kicking up dust. And so my wife and I said, hey, this is the year that we really focus on Peyton. The poor kid's been neglected for a decade. So uh, what do we do? And we thought, let's just jump into the world of fish. And so I threw out to him the idea of perhaps we could actually learn to scuba dive together. And uh, I had no desire to, but um, I'm claustrophobic. And, uh, but I thought, you know, you know maybe there's, there's a way you can do it or I'll snorkel on the top of the water, you know, watch you dive. And so we entered into the scuba diving school and took the 20-hour certification. And we went from a pool and then we dove down at the aquarium. And then you have to actually go out to the ocean to be certified. And, uh, you know, we were told when we were going to get on the boat that, you know, that it was a boat entry. Like you had to like sit on the edge of the boat with all your gear on and all your goggles on. And I mean, there's just luggage all over you and you fall backwards into the ocean. And, uh, you know, you do trust dives off of chairs and stuff, you know, but the only thing you got is water. And they put weights inside your vest to get you to sink. That's the whole goal, right? So we flip back into the Caribbean to go down into the water where there's lots of creatures that can make your life miserable. And uh, we would be lost without Mimo. Mimo lives in Cozumel, and we all love Mimo. We owe our lives to Mimo. <laughs> Mimo has been diving that reef for 30 years of his life, and he said, all you got to do is follow me, you know? Uh, and it, you're, it's trust because, you know, we're going down to depths of 75 feet. And if you panic, you can't just go, I'm going up. Because you get the bends, you're thrown into a hyperbaric chamber, and you may live and you may not. So you can't just abort. Uh, so you can imagine, you know, it, you know, the teenagers are like, this is awesome. And the adults were like, oh. You don't want to, like, fall on your face in front of your kids, right? You, you get enough mockery uh, with teens in your house as a, you know, they call me, okay, boomer. They say that to me. I'm like, I am not a boomer, and that is a deep offense to my soul. I said, we are Gen X. We did not jack up the planet near as much as the boomers did, but they're like, you're all the same. Hey, no talk from the boomers over here. We're all bitter. Okay. So, 
we go down for the first dive. So we're, you have to you inflate your vest when you dive off the boat so you still stay on top of the water. But then when Mimo goes like this, uh, that does not mean you're not doing a good job. That means we're going down. And you take your button and you let out the air in your vest and you start to sink. And you look down and you realize you're going to a place you've never been before. And he said, on our first dive, we're going to all sink and we're going to get to the bottom. When we get to the bottom, we're all going to kneel in the sand and I'm going to make sure you're all okay. And then we're going to start moving. Now, you don't have to move in Cozumel. It's a drift dive. There's already a current and it moves you automatically between five and 10 miles an hour. And so we go down and I'm having a hard time getting down because I'm just panicky. I'm filling my lungs with air and I'm bobbing up and down. It takes me a while to get down. And I finally get down and there's Mimo, but there's no sun. And he looks at me like this and I'm like, and folks, we're in the ocean, right? I mean, I don't know if you've been in the ocean, um, but I found one picture that kind of shows you like, I'm the guy there on the right. That's me probably 15 feet down, right? There's two of my uh, kids diving with us. But I'm looking back into the drift, and, you know, my son, Peyton, and by the way, he gave me permission to tell this story, and his sidekick, Jason Larson, um, the other rebellious child, and he gave me permission to tell this story, are gone, right? And they don't have a compass, they don't have a computer, I mean, nothing. And, you know, panicking is my spiritual gift, but, <laughs> you know... So I am now, the current picks me up, and now I'm floating, looking back and going, looking at the watery grave of my children, you know, and going, uh, so Mimo goes after him, and he fights the current because he knows they've got to be a certain direction. Turns out they got under the water, they got so excited, they saw this beautiful fish, and they decided to chase a fish, <laughs> you know. That's fish boy, you know. And I'm looking back, and all I can see is darkness, and then all of a sudden, out of the mist comes Mimo, followed by two teenagers. And it's like the Star Wars theme track to me. You know, I'm just so excited that my kids are back in the land of the living. And when they finally get to me, I just want to give them that, you know, parental lecture. But I, I can't, right? I get this thing in my mouth. So all I can use is sign language to tell them how I feel. It's fish and following. We were fully devoted followers of Mimo. Our lives depended on it. Here at Providence, we say our mission is to live as fully loved and devoted followers of Jesus and to love our neighbors to do the same. I read this week in my study, every single time Jesus said, follow me. Every time he looked at somebody, he said, follow me. And it's just a, a fascinating study of, I think, what Jesus says to us, because essentially what we're jo our job as preachers is to do is sit there and say, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. And that's going to look different for everybody. It's going to take some people into cross-purpose, some people into safe families, and some people into Thailand, right? But he says, follow me. I just traced how he talked to Peter through the scriptures. John chapter 1 says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his own brother Simon and said to him, hey, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And he was saying to him, follow me. You know, basically, rabbis in that culture, 
They were mobile instructors, and the disciples just followed them through the course of everyday life. And this is the kind of ministry that Jesus maintained with his followers. He walked up to Matthew at the tax collector booth and said, follow me. And then he would say to them, uh, come and see what life with me is like. I got thinking about that today. I thought, you know, let's try to put this in 2020. Think of yourself at your job, and someone walks up to your desk and says, hey, come and follow me. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What did I do wrong? <laughs> Sherry, we need counseling. <laughs> what else do you think? I'm fired. Where are we going? How many of you would follow just some unknown person who walked up to your desk and said, hey, come and follow me? And you get the idea that it wasn't for a jaunt around the building. You're going to be gone for a little while. How many would do it? Okay, now we're in space right here, right? Two of you out of 150, and we need prayer for the two of you, right? That's just... <laughs> but you're probably the ones that just teach us about faith. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Let's, let's get out of the realm of the unknown. Who is somebody that if they walked up to your desk at work, I'm talking like, think around the globe, and they said, hey, come follow me, you'd actually get up out of your chair and you'd go follow them. Give me a name or two. Well... <laughs> So, thank you so much. It's not what I'm looking for. Kind. Bill Gates. How many of you would say if Bill Gates walked up to my desk and said, come follow me, I would do it? Raise your hand. My gosh, the richest man in the world, like eight of you would go. Who would be more attractive than Bill Gates? Mother Teresa. Raise your hand. Well, I know she's dead. Come on. All right. <laughs> You really would follow that, or I'd be like, whoa, all right. I, this never goes as planned in my, my, in my study. Anybody else? Who'd get more than Mother Teresa? Oprah. Oprah, raise your hand. Joe Clark, you would not follow Oprah out the building? No, no way. <laughs> Sheila? Oh, Sheila, you, you, you want to be Oprah, yeah. So I wanted to get out to say, think about that, right? Who would you follow? You'd be asking questions in your head, and what would get you out of that chair? I mean, whether it's Bill Gates or Oprah, you would think that they offered something better than that desk offered you, right? It was worth it to take the risk to walk out. Something in your life wasn't working. I think you will only choose to follow Jesus when you realize that the way you were following was a dead end. And he says, come and see. Uh, you don't get this if you just read all the Gospels all in a row, kind of how the rhythm works. But when he said, come and follow me, his first invitation was come. Bill Hull talks about this in his book on the disciple-making church. Come and see me. And we think that the disciples followed him for about four months, and then he sent them home. It wasn't a constant three-year journey of discipleship. He says, Christ planned this brief period for the disciples' personal souls, searching and growth of their conviction and courage. I'm going to tell you, my analysis of the American church and being in it since I was born is it is packed with come and see people. They're interested in what this guy might have to offer, and they'll come and see, and then they'll come to a weekend worship service once a month, and they'll sit there and hear a good thing on a podcast, and they might post a Bible verse on social media, but it's just weak sauce Christianity. 
If most Christians put the effort into their life with the church, they did with their jobs, they'd be fired. I have no idea if come and see Christians, so to speak, are really Christians or not. Because nowhere in Scripture is your faith dependent upon church attendance, moral behavior, or anything like that. Christianity is not a disease you catch. It's a decision to give your life to Jesus. But if you're in come and see Christianity, you can follow and pick and choose. Jesus becomes your hashtag. But as long as he doesn't mess with your life, your career, your agenda, your money, your partner, or your dream of one, then, hey, you know, Jesus, stay over there, and I'll keep doing my life. But I just want the little bit of the hashtag Jesus. You know, I really liked Mimo. And he was good for the thrill of a week on vacation. But, you know, I stayed with him for a week, and I'm off. I'm probably never going to follow Mimo anymore. There's too many other places in the world I want to go and dive. He was my temporary guide, my one-week fix. And I think that is what American consumer Christianity has produced. I like what Eugene Peterson, his book, uh, King, As Kingfishers Catch Fire, I've been reading my devotions the last several months. He says, Jesus does not always meet our expectations. He does not always give what we ask for or what we think we need. When he doesn't, we feel let down, deflated, disappointment, or we surf to another channel on the TV, or we try out another church that will hopefully give us what we ask for. But not every gospel story is a success story on our terms. Some of the people who come to Jesus do not get what they want, do not hear what they want to hear. And the man in the rich young ruler in that story didn't. A lot of people in our culture come to Jesus, to God, wanting to help them put the finishing touches on what they have very industriously and capably begun. They want to pull God in as a part-time assistant, usually low-paid, but they want to stay in charge. And when Jesus doesn't do it, instead of letting his love and truth change them, they leave and go off to look for someone who will do what they want on their terms. This is come and see, casual Christianity, and in my opinion, it's not Christianity at all. Because then after their four-month stint and their two-month, two weeks off, he comes back into their life and he says, come and follow me. And he's calling them to a different level of followership. Casual Christianity allows you to worship Jesus and false idols. Amen. You can have Jesus and sex with anybody you want. You can have your small group and drugs on demand. You can have times of praise and worship, but still keep your materialism. You can post pictures of yourself reading your Bible and cloak your narcissism in Instagram virtue signaling. Folks, Jesus, when he offered this realm of followership, he looked at the rich wrong you and says, you lack something. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he walked away disheartened because he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said, hey, it's difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Thank God we have the children singing that song at their age. To realize that, uh, you know, wealth had put his tentacles into the life of that rich young ruler. And he had kept the moral law and he hadn't committed adultery and he hadn't stole. And Jesus said, all right, one more thing that you're still holding on to is your riches. And by the way, Jesus is not calling every single person to sell everything they have and give to the poor. To that man, it was his idol. And he walked away because he had great riches. Folks, Jesus doesn't offer weak sauce Christianity. He doesn't do light beer, right? You know, you don't have to ask him if he needs Tabasco, right? 
this is, this is how he rolls, right? He won't wear earplugs to a concert. When Jesus said, I say, come and follow me, it was all of life. Amen. He walks with the tax collector at his desk and says, get up from your desk and you're coming with me. And by the way, you might as well close that desk door because you're not coming back to this job. You are changing your income. You're changing your place of living. You might as well send an email to your family because we're walking out of here if you want a new life Amen. and you want to live differently. Jesus selects these 12 men. They become his full-time disciples, and they go on a 30-month journey with Jesus. And they gave up their very lives on a permanent basis to follow him. Why? Because he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I am actually going to make you into something that you were created to be, and the gods of this world have, have had you follow them. It is time to follow the true God of this world. I heard it said the two biggest days in your life are the day you were born and the day you figured out why. You will never figure out your true why if you don't follow Jesus with everything you've got. Amen. He says, follow me instead of your idols. To the rich young ruler, it was money and materialism. In Luke 9, he says that they're going along the road. Someone said, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he said, hey, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you want to live in tents? 2020, that's saying, will you give up comfort and safety to go and follow me? Or it was already mentioned uh, earlier today is the, what I call the cult of the family, where our bio family and our extended family becomes our nucleus of relationships. And this guy comes up and says, hey, God, Jesus, would you, would you let me go and bury my father? And Jesus says, uh, no, let the dead bury the dead. What, what does that mean? Let the spiritually dead who aren't following me, let them take care of funerals, stuff like that. So it wasn't that his dad had died. It's the idea that his dad was approaching death and maybe had months or a few years left to live. And he's saying, can I go and spend the last years of my, of my dad's life with him? And he's saying, no, that's not what life is all about. I mean, I wish I could preach like Jesus. But in the American church, if I said that to people, I'd be in mediation. I'd be, in, I'd be, I'd be third-party counselors to come in and help me with my harshness, right? This is a complete different level. You are giving up control. You are not in charge. David Platt said, Jesus is not some puny religious leader begging for an invitation from anyone. He's the all-sovereign Lord who deserves submission from everyone. Amen. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.15, some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. So there is a true choice. Amen. Ephesians 2.2, 2, you were dead in trespasses and sin in what you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. We all live this way in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and by nature we're children of wrath. 2 Peter 3.3, 3, knowing this verse that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So it is either follow Jesus or follow Satan, your sensual desires, your sinful desires, and the spirit of darkness. Our world cloaks it in fancy Disney language, like follow your heart. Most of the counseling I do is because people followed their heart. And Disney just pumps out that propaganda like every single thing they put out. 
I can show you the world. <laughs> Shining, shimmering, splendid. Tell me, princess, when did you last? Let your heart decide. That's like how people end up in hospitals. <laughs> Divorce, right? That's the wrong thing. Jesus like, I can show you the word. Black and white, in print, this is my way. And tell me, tell me when's the last time, Christian, you let the Lord decide, Amen. right? How you should live and how you should do it. I, don't, I rarely go to counseling where people who have put their life into the ditch and they're like, Pastor, I really, really thought this through. I looked at the Bible and I sought a multitude of wise Christian counselors and it erupted on me. No, they followed their stupid heart, right? Your heart can lead you in some right places, but your heart can also be desperately wicked, the Bible says. Amen. So you need the community of faith. This is kind of why we started this church. We said, we are done with the American come and see church. We are done with casual Christianity. This is not Christianity as it's fully lived out. This is why we paste those things on the wall and say, we're actually going to look at what discipleship looks like, look what following looks like, and we're actually going to hold each other. We want to be with a group of people that will hold each other accountable to doing those things. So we say we love God together. That's, uh, we gather together on Sunday morning and we worship God. It's also about you, but it's also about you loving others in this space and in this time. We love our church family together. This is our community group. We encourage each other as we're on this path of following Jesus. And then we love our neighbors together. So this is cross-purpose or save families or save our youth or as some of our congregants went out and started Open Up, which as of for the last two years now, they've placed 50 homeless people in existing homes, right? This is following Jesus together and this church supported it, launched it, financed it. So these are the behaviors that we say you can kind of match yourself up to and say, am I following Jesus? But you can do the behaviors and never give Jesus your heart. I want to say that, right? The behaviors are just to us like lights on the dashboard that if you're not doing these behaviors, maybe something's wrong. So we actually at Providence at the very beginning, we said, we are so done with mild picante sauce Christianity, right? That that thing should never have been created, right? It's like, why? Let's just catch up with peppers, you know? We're going to create a covenant with each other. We're going to sign a contract with you. That's how serious we were. We were said, no offense to the National Guard, but we are not National Guard. We are Marines. And we'd rather have 50 Marines than 500 National Guard weekend warriors any day, right? Our first membership class was 12 hours long. We sit there, and, and we, we still do a long membership class. And then we say, we want you to, if you're going to become part of this church and be a covenant partner, you're going to sign this thing that you're going to behave a certain way, you believe these things, and we're on mission together. And by the way, we can hold each other accountable, and you're going to do those behaviors, and we're going to walk this journey together because we're just done with that whole other thing. It was a commitment to a group of people. Like one of our elders said on Thursday night, he said, we never drift into maturity, you know? And this is, I don't know of other churches that do this because we're like really into it. We're going to hold you accountable. You don't show up for a certain period of time, we're going to send you an email. Say, hey, is everything okay, right? Because we, we made that contract and covenant with each other. And you know, if we didn't email you for eight weeks, you get mad that nobody noticed you, right? So we noticed you, right? You understand the rub on that? 
You can go be anonymous somewhere else. It's not here, okay? Amen. It is impossible to follow Christ and not be part of his church. It is impossible. So, how are we doing? Katie just did the analysis and said, of the, we have 122 adults who've made that commitment with backed-up behaviors. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Yes. They've signed the paper. Do you know how many are doing it? One out of four. One out of four. So in, in deciding, like, this is like basic, Juan calls it kindergarten Christianity. We explained it. We have 12-hour classes. We put it on paper. We say, do you believe it? Are you going to do it? And they say, yep, I'm all in. And one out of four are actually doing it. So I was mourning over this because I was like, that's like 40 people, you know. So I was with a counselor this week, and I was just having some small talk with him. And I said, yeah, you know, one of the problems we have is we really want to create a church where people are dedicated and really want to live this out and have these behaviors. And I said, I think after 10 years, we've got like 40 Marines. And he goes, you got 40 Marines? I'm coming to your church. My church, I got 60 chaplains, you know? <laughs> Nothing against military chaplains, but you get the idea, right? So this year as a church, we actually want to move from 20, one out of four people actually following through on their word to two out of four. Is that aggressive? Amen. I hope I don't get nasty emails, right? 64% kind of do it half-ish, half right? So... We're not sending out individual report cards, okay? I just got to, someone showed me this Instagram post of the Mormon church. They actually track your giving, and if it doesn't match 10% of what you declared your income to be when you joined the church, they sign you up for makeup meetings with an elder, wow. right? Just so you know, right? We, we ain't quite there, right? <laughs> and I almost feel like when I say, we want to go from one out of four people making the commitment to two out of four, I want to go, sorry, Jesus, <laughs> Sorry, don't listen. Right? I don't know how else to do it. I'm just being honest with you, right? This is what we want to do. I, I firmly believe if 122 adults were fully all in and following Jesus and it lined up in their life, like it changes a city, right? This is Margaret Mead. Don't, don't ever doubt what a small group of people can do to change the world. It's the only thing that ever has, right? So if you made the commitment, just, just do it, okay? We hate following up on you right? Talk to Jesus about it. So this year, we want to get better on loving God together. We, we feel like we are entering into this. We've already entered into a post-Christian world. Uh, Kara Hamburg on our staff recommended a podcast to me called This Cultural Moment, and they helped frame that structure for me. But I believe it's our time to equip our church on how to live in a post-Christian world through a sermon series, classes, and resource, because it's harder and harder to follow Jesus in this culture. That The headwind is so strong against people trying to follow Jesus. We feel like we do a better job of equipping. We want to love our church family together. I'm happy to report, for the first time in our history, we have 10 people in our congregation who are new Christians who are actually actively enrolled in discipleship with another Christian in their small group. Our goal is to double that this year with 20 people uh, enrolled in that. We do not want church growth through mainly church hopping. We want it through discipleship. That's the God-ordained method of church growth. We'd like to grow our community group attendance by 
We think two-thirds of our entire church family, not just covenant partners, but everybody here this morning, about two-thirds of you are actively involved in a weekly small group. That's a big deal. You know why? Because you don't really get to know people on Sunday morning. Small groups are designed to get intimate with one another, hold each other accountable, encourage one another, pray with one another, eat with one another. That's the goal. And then thank God we got a youth pastor this past May, Osvaldo. Um, and yeah, well, Osvaldo's done a great job. Osvaldo would like to see the youth group, uh, our very first like formalized youth group, grow to 35 students and have 10 students enrolled or completing the discipleship program. We want to love our neighbor better together. We really started creating a strong link between the church and the nonprofit, and the church basically comes in and teaches optional classes at lunchtime. We'd like to see 50 of our CP leaders uh, attend our, our morning service and see 10 of them move into small groups. Six uh, cross-purpose leaders are now actively engaged in small groups, and they've just been a huge blessing to us. And then on loving our neighbor together, it's time for us to think about planting another church. So we wanted, we were a church plant. We want to be a church planting church. We wanted to do it in the first five years. And it seems like at five years, we were barely surviving. So we weren't going to hive off half the congregation and say, let's go plant the church because maybe neither one of them would have survived. And then the building was given to us here. We walked into about a two-year process with that. But now, folks, we're in, we're settled, we have our place, and the room is full, and it's time for us to think about planting that Aurora church and an Aurora chapter of cross-purpose. But you know what we're going to need? Another whole level of leadership. We need elders and deacons and women's leadership council, people who will move over there, people who are already there, who plug in and say, hey, let's be part of that core group. So this year we want to actually launch that core team. We're going to need money, people, and staff to go uh, plant that church over on East Colfax. And by the way, there's no greater place that gets my blood pumping in this city than East Colfax. I mean, you just drive that strip between the hospital and the Denver line, and I'm like, woo! You know? Juan says, I live in the suburbs now from 12 years ago. It's like, I want to go back to the hood, you know? That's where, that's, that's, that's where my blood gets pumping. But you know, I, I kind of like walk through, like, i kind of given you the church report card, and I've kind of said, hey, we got to do better. You know, let's do better. And you can walk out and go, yeah, let's do better. I don't think Jesus' primarily thing was, here's your list of behaviors you got to do to follow me. When he sat with Matthew at the, at the desk and he said, come follow me, I will make you into something, right? We get so caught up in the process that we, we lose the joy of what Jesus is actually trying to do. Because Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, right? He will find life here. The whole key I learned to scuba diving after about 10 dives was Mimo. Because Mimo had this little steel thing, and when he saw a fish that was worthy to be observed, he would tap on his steel tank. And you can't hear hardly anything underwater, but you can hear this ding, 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 ding on his tank. And what he was saying is, I saw something. And you look at Mimo and he'd go, that meant barracuda, right? This meant a manta ray, right? And they, they know all the other fish, but the one that really got your blood pumping is it went like this. <laughs> and I'll never forget the first time I heard ding, 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 and I looked at Mimo, and he was like, boom. I'm like, oh, no, you know? He seemed fairly uh, non-panicky. Uh, and right there under that reef was this shark. And I saw that shark, and 
He didn't look like the menacing ones on Shark Week. And of course, I was captivated by this fish. And uh, my son and I like went down to that shark and got like five feet from his face. And I sat there and I thought, uh, as a parent, uh, it's the greatest moment with my son, right? Because our blood was pumping. He was fully engaged. We got a picture together at the bottom of the ocean. And we got up. We've talked about that moment dozens of times, right? There was such joy. And what happened? If we just stayed close to the master, he would have shown us all the best fish all the way throughout. He took us through caves and whatever. One dive, he said, I'm just going to show you the little things. And we would get down to the sand and see these little teeny fish that you couldn't hardly see. And like, we just stayed close to the master diver and we got to places and we experienced this joy we wouldn't have known. We'd have just floated by all these beautiful fish. Jesus is that master. That if we just sit there and say, let's be close to him, he's going to say, this is not a duty. You're going to join a CG because your pastors want you to. No, that's where you find joy. You get outside of yourself, right? You start hearing about other stories and other lives and you love and you're being loved. The Bible says the rich young ruler, most people never see this in the passage. When he looks at the rich young ruler, he's getting ready to say, go sell all you have. That's all we ever see in that passage. Right before he says, go sell all that you have, it says, Jesus looked at him. You know what it says? And loved him. He was saying, this thing is wrapped around your neck and it's choking you. I love you. Get rid of that stupid riches thing. And you're going to have joy. You're going to be able to breathe. Right? And he walked away with the thing choking him. Jesus looks at you and he loves you and says, stop it. Stop it. Just be close to me. I'm going to show you a life that you have never imagined. A new way of living. This new way of living is that your master can tap on the tank, and you know what? He's going to start speaking to you. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I've been praying to my goals this year. God, I want to be more spirit-led. I want to hear you in the moment and follow you. You have a new family. The Bible says, if you've forsaken houses and lands and family members, you're going to find hundreds more. His biological family walked up to him as he was inside the house and said, hey, your mom and your brother are outside. And he was like, no, my mom and brothers are in here. You know, there are some people, thank God, maybe 10% of this congregation has an intact nuclear family. God bless it. But for 90% of us, our nuclear family, extended family, or how we think of family has got a lot of fractures and brokenness in it. This is the new family of Jesus. And you know what? There's so much love that happens. My wife says, hey, I'm taking, this is my Sabbath, but I'm going to go over and help one of our cross-purpose leaders move into their new place. Uh, Henry and Mary are moving her into their house that they just moved into in Aurora. And uh, I didn't, I've never heard this story. I didn't know what's happening. And so she comes back and she's just all bubbly at lunch. And she goes, I just love her. You know, that woman is so much tougher than I am. She's been through so much more. She's such a testimony to me. And hey, Henry and Mary, they're remodeling their basement and they're going to move her in. But then they got this land and they're going to, they could build some apartments and have some more people in it. And I'm just like, oh, I want to hang with the Henry and Marys in the Christian church the rest of my life. 
right? And I don't even know her name, but the woman moving into their basement has probably such, such stronger faith than I have. I need, to, I need to spend life with her. You have a new meaning. You can now make sense of the world. In the last 20 years, we have a 33% increase in suicide in this country. Because people are reaching the pinnacle of what the world is saying is success, and they're not finding meaning, and they're taking their life. You have a new way to deal with money. You will find it's funner to give than to receive. I know that's not a word, but it's funner. When I first moved to the neighborhood, one of the first things we wanted to do to get involved in the neighborhood was get involved in stuff. My son wanted to play football. I found the local football league. We showed up over in Park Hill. It was the Park Hill Pirates. And uh, my son joined that team. I walked in. It's all African-Americans, coaches and kids. And I, was, I walked up and I go, can my son play? And they're like, yeah, come on in, you know. And so he joined the team. I still cherish that photo of him because I never have to tell people which one of the photos is my kid. And, uh, and he just flat out wasn't the best player, right? Um, but they took him in. They took me in. You know, I don't know what I'd be without the, the Park Hill men that kind of discipled me in the neighborhood. I'd go to these games. Hudson wouldn't play till you know, it's trash time and all that stuff. But they put him in that corner one day, and it was like almost the last game of the season, and the opposing team threw a pass, and the ball landed in his hands, and he intercepted the ball. The stands went crazy. It was like, the white kid can jump, you know, was that kind of thing. So, like... They carried him off the field on their shoulders. <laughs> and he, and he, uh, it was so moving because we were accepted. Well, that was the PAL League. It was sponsored by the police. But the Popo quit funding it, and the PAL League 18 months ago collapsed in this neighborhood. Mm. Well, if you, if you know this neighborhood, you know this. Boys don't stay in school because they like sitting in lines and hearing somebody lecture them in a 100-degree classroom for eight hours. Right? They're there for ball afterwards, and they can't play ball if the grades aren't good, right? <laughs> and so football for young boys in this neighborhood is vital. So I get an appointment on my calendar from a cross-purpose alum. By the way, those are the rock stars of this neighborhood. Danny Green comes walking. He goes, hey, Jason, I'm retired now, but I'm trying to help resurrect this football league. I want you to meet somebody. The guy walks in my office this week. He sits down. This is my son's coach. And he goes, I'm resurrecting the league, and we're going to do it ourselves. We don't need the popo. We're going to do it ourselves. And he's like, we need support, we need help, we need sponsorships. I mean, I want to give more money away this year. My wife and I said, we, we want to up our percentage of giving. And I said, God, just bring people by that you want me to support. Do you think it's hard to get me to give money to the Park Hill Pirates and that, that league that's starting up to help hundreds of boys in this neighborhood? No, I, I was given so much grace by them, and now we just give grace so we want to throw a fundraiser in this room and help them. This is, this is a whole new way of enjoyment of life, a new way to handle suffering. You have a new way to get through the difficult times of life. This last weekend, I was out with a friend's retreat in California, and uh, they have the third best diving spot in California to dive into. So I thought, I'm going to do my retreat. I'm going to go do a dive with my boys on the weekend. And I dove into that water, and it's a different ball game. This is what it looks like. And it was so rocky, and it was so pitching, and it was so sandy, and it was so murky. I could only see the fin. I couldn't even see the tank. I could only see the fin of the master in front of me. I didn't know which way was up. 
We finally got to a place where we could see, and the dive master looked at me and says, basically like this, which means you stay down here. I'm going up to see where we are. And I'm down there going, oh, Jesus, you know, like this is not what I signed up for. But I think sometimes following Jesus looks like that, where you're like, I'm not sure where I'm at. But then you start opening up the book of Job. You start seeing that the men who followed Jesus were persecuted. And you start seeing the death of Stephen. And you start seeing sickness. And you start seeing suffering. You start seeing scandal. And you have a new way to deal with it. And you have a new joy. A new joy. At the end of the day, it's the best way to live. I've come that you might have life. You might have it more abundantly. That when you live God's way, you're going to find happiness. I encourage you, downsize your retirement and supersize your joy downsize all your future dreams and say, I'm going to dream now with the people of the kingdom and I'm going to open my life up to be loved and to love others. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you're not going to walk in darkness. You're going to have the light of life. And by the way, then he says, and I'm going to repay everybody according to what they've done. That's not preached very often. Amen. You think you chucking some cash at something or volunteering with safe families is a sacrifice? He says, I'm going to repay you. What do you think Jesus' repayment check is to that? It's amazing. But where a lot of people jump off this whole train is follow me didn't just mean through the day-to-day life. It terminated at a cross. And this is where, like, follow me, and you're like, and all of a sudden you see the cross, you're like, yeah, no, 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 Right? And Jesus said to his own disciples, hey, unless a kernel of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it's a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Lose your life, hate your life, and you're going to keep it for eternal life. Simon Peter says, hey, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't follow me, but you will follow afterwards. You will have your own cross to bear. We seem to have a natural inclination to follow Jesus until it looks like it'll be painful, and then we need to think about it, because all the disciples fled at the foot of the cross. And you can imagine the guilt when you're with God for three years, and he gives you the map, and you're like, Peter's like, I'm going to follow you everywhere, I'll never betray you, and the first temptation he caves. Every person who's ever followed Jesus has had moments where they haven't. And I can give you a list of mine. So after he dies on the cross and this shivering group of disciples and these shamed Peter, he walks up to Peter and he basically says, hey, do you love me? He's like, yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yeah, feed my sheep. Hey, do you love me? Feed my sheep. We've heard that story, right? But what is his last words to Peter? Follow me. Follow me. Yeah, but, oh, I got so much crap back here. Just follow me. I'll use all that stuff for my glory. You know? Oh, but I ain't got what they got. Just, just follow me. I have made pretty good impacts with average, ordinary people that nobody else took a bet on. Ah, but I'm afraid. Just follow me. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. But I don't even know if I can hold my head up. I'll hold it up. When my son 
came back with Mimo through the fog of the ocean. I had a tinge of frustration and a tinge of anger. Why did he stray the moment he dropped into the water? But you know what the overwhelming emotion in me was? Gladness and joy that he was okay and he was on the right track. This is how God feels about you when he says, follow me. And you have all your excuses, like you're breathing, you're alive, you're heading the right direction. Keep following. I know it's going to be rough. I know you're going to stray. I know you're going to have fears. But you know what? I died on the cross for you. And I'm going to be walking with you every single step. I am your father. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, I love this church. I love these people. And they love me. We are just pilgrims on a road trying to figure out how to make it through Western culture and follow you in a way that you prescribe. And it's just hard to cut through the clutter. Lord, may we remind you again this morning of our need for each other on this journey. So I don't know if the Lord spoke to you this morning. I don't know what the Spirit said to you, but I would like you to obey. We have our prayer team up here, then we stand to sing. I'd like you to come up and seek prayer. If you need healing in your life, whether it's spiritual healing, physical healing, emotional healing, we'll have an elder off here to the side. Josh will anoint your head with oil and pray for you. Maybe you don't want to talk to somebody. You can just sit here and kneel at the front, kneel where you're at, grab somebody you know, ask them to pray with you. I think it's important as we kick off 2020 for us as a church to say we want to be fully loved and devoted followers of Jesus and love our neighbors to do the same. Let's stand together.